If you've been listening to the Business of Biotech podcast for a while now, you'll recall that Aaron Harris has joined me to co-host a few episodes. Aaron's my friend, colleague, and chief editor over at sellandgene.com, and she just recently launched a podcast of her own. It's aptly named Sell and Gene, the podcast. And if you're working in the Sell and Gene space, you should give it a listen. It's a collection of interviews with the industry and academic leaders moving the space forward. And you can find it at sellandgene.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sell and Gene, the podcast. Check it out. Historically, the administration of biologic therapies and vaccines has almost always been a needles and blood proposition for patients and caregivers. But if the uptick in attention I'm getting from biopharma companies developing oral solid dose, dry powder inhalable, and intranasal biologics is any indication, those patients and caregivers might soon see some administration optionality. This is the business of biotech. I'm Matt Piller. And on today's show, we're talking dry powder biologic tech with TFF Pharmaceuticals President, CEO, and Director Glenn Mattis. Now, Glenn has been leading TFF since 2018, but this is far from his first rodeo. During his more than 40 years in the space, he's held president or CEO positions with Tebotech Therapeutics. Am I saying that right, Glenn? Tebotech? Yeah, division of Johnson & Johnson. Yep, a Johnson & Johnson company, Arno Therapeutics, RMH Sciences, and Deck Therapeutics. Previous to those roles, he was VP and general manager at Roan Poulenc Rohrer. I could be saying that one wrong as well. Uh, and then Centacore. Uh, he's been an executive advisor to a host of companies and foundations, He's served on the boards of Advantagene and Viking Scientific, and he's currently chairman of the boards at Translational Sciences and Canometrics. Glenn, I know I didn't catch everything in your CV, uh, but you're among the most experienced, I think, of guests that I've had on the show, and I'm, I'm honored to have you. Thanks. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I want to start at the top. Uh, as I noted in my preamble, uh, biologics historically haven't uh, been associated with, uh, they've almost always been associated with parenteral administration. They haven't been associated with any of those other administration forms that I mentioned. Um, so give us the rationale behind TFF's effort to develop inhalable biologic therapies. Yeah, Matt, so the technology has this, when you look at its ability to you know, get biologics into powders, it, it's quite unique. And in terms of, the, you know, the more, the larger the molecule, the more complex the molecule, it's where the technology really differentiates, differentiates itself from other technologies where you can create powders. And, and the whole approach is really geared towards optimizing the delivery of the therapy or the therapeutic to the lung in a dose that's suitable to optimize the efficacy versus the adverse events potential of the, of the individual compound. So ideally, the target product profiles that we're looking to create are ones where you can achieve optimal blood levels of the therapeutic or the vaccine for that matter, while administering the smallest dose possible to get there. So what we're hoping to achieve is, is basically one of three things, equal efficacy, uh, a better adverse events profile, 
perhaps fewer drug-drug interactions, or even better efficacy, which actually falls into sort of this all of above, all of the above category. Yeah. And when you look at our partnerships, you know, we're partnered with uh, many, many pharma companies, academic institutions, and the government. The goals of this work is to optimize the formulation to achieve those outcomes. And uh, so our portfolio is, is quite deep when we look at vaccines, when we look at mRNA, when we look at sRNA, monoclonal antibodies, peptides, phages, you name it. And of course, we can do we can do small molecules as well, as is evidenced by our internal portfolio. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of conversations lately with uh, companies who have who've talked, leaders of companies who have talked about this, uh, this notion of the democratization of, uh, of medicine and, and, and biologics in particular, because they're, you know, and there, there's more to that conversation than expense, right? There's accessibility, there's the patient experience. Um, so what are the implications there around this democratization of, of, of biologic vaccines, if we can go dry powder and hellable successfully and achieve the efficacy that, that you reference, um, what, what, what's in it for the, the patient population? Yes, yeah, so I think the, it's a really good question, man. I think the best way to answer it is through example, right? So let's take, for example, um, a project we're working on with Augmenta BioWorks. We are developing with Augmenta in a co-development relationship, uh, monoclonal antibody. It's right now called Augmenta 3387. Real exciting name, right? Augmenta 3387. And it's a antibody that is positioned to treat, to treat COVID-19. Now, you might say, well, how why is that innovative? Well, what's exciting about that? You know, there are other antibodies currently on the market that can be used in the Regeneron antibody, for example. Well, number one, and we'll be releasing some data in, in the coming days or week uh, about just how effective this, this monoclonal antibody is. So to me, when you start talking about democratization and you start talking about value, you have to look at the intrinsic value that the asset's going to bring to the outcome or the, ther or the therapy, right? So Let's stick on augment the 3037, for example. So we're going to you know, try to demonstrate through animal models initially that this antibody is effective to treat uh, COVID-19, um, perhaps looking at side-by-side you know, -side comparisons of what's out there or what's soon to be out there, okay? And then you know, looking at how do you differentiate the administration and where do you, you create the value ultimately in the treatment cascade and armamentarium for the patient. So we're going to do a thin film freezing version of Augmenta 3387 that will be more for downstream utilization. So that the patient is by, is unfortunately maybe not have that severe disease, or if they have been in the hospital, they've been treated acutely. But with a powdered version, they can go to the doctor's office, get prescribed, an inhaled version of augmented 3387 and use the antibodies to treat this downstream disease with a powder. So you'll have optimal dose, the best possible matrix of, of outcomes versus uh, adverse events. And you create value in an ease of administration 
and you create value in, in where you enter into the treatment cascade for an individual disease. So yeah, you know, maybe or maybe not, we enter into the more acute stage of treating COVID-19, or you look for where you can differentiate your asset and create optimal value for whatever. And we haven't got we haven't even gotten to pricing yet, but optimal value for, for, for the patient. Is it, does that resonate at all? With, with it you? does. Yeah. I mean, it certainly addresses the, you know, it, it certainly addresses the, that, that value um, question. What about when it comes to administration and the patient's experience? I mean, I guess it goes without saying it's a lead in question, I suppose. I, for one, and I, I haven't done any, uh, you know, empirical analysis on this, but I, for one, would far prefer to inhale uh, a therapy than to have it, uh, you know, in, injected or, 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 or uh, administered intravenously. Um, any, any thoughts on that? I mean, do you anticipate that part of the market opportunity for TFF revolves around this, uh, the, the democratization of, if you will, of the administration of the therapy? Well, you know, this is, you know, we're not, this isn't the first time or the first, we've been looking at administration routes and, and patient preferences for quite some time. So mm-hmm. you know, if, the, if you can create the desired outcome that you get the optimal efficacy versus adverse events profile through inhalation, and you know that you're not creating any untoward effects around that inhalation, um, you know, unless the patient has an aversion to inhalation, it shouldn't be an issue. You know, the question really becomes, you know, is, is there any, for example, right now with our voriconazole product, We've done phase one uh, clinical data. We know our dose that we're taking into the pivotal trial, but in order, and we're treating in that case, a fungal disease of invasive pulmonary aspergillosis. More downstream patients who need more chronic administration of the antifungal because they have cystic fibrosis, HIV, chronic pneumonias. So they're gonna need longer administration of, of voriconazole where the adverse events profile becomes a consideration but we're doing a reactive airway disease cohort to be sure in asthmatic patients, there's no diminution of forced expiratory volume or, or pulmonary function. So going into this trial with just doing this simple trial, we'll know we can include asthma patients in that pivotal study. Uh, yeah. We're almost complete with the study, should have results out to for the public consumption in early November that'll support you know just another piece of evidence that inhalation of thin film freezing uh, powders is not an issue, okay? And we haven't seen it in any of the trials that we've done. Uh, we don't anticipate seeing it. If any irritation, Matt, would probably come not through the, the technique or the process of inhalation, mm-hmm. but if the active component is an irritant. And even in that case, we can do certain things in formulation to, to soften that irritation. You know, we, our, our TFF chemists are, are sort of unicorns around applying this, this technology. Yeah. And they have ways to even, if, if necessary, although we haven't seen it, mask, you know, any, any irritation that might, that might occur. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get to, well, uh, you know, I've got some questions for you around that, uh, the, the, the unicorn aspect of those scientists, the, uh, the development and manufacturability challenge. Uh, but before we get there, what about, and this, again, it, it seems obvious to me, but I, I want you to dig into it for me. Um, it, it seems as though if you can take uh, biologics and 
thin film freeze them. Uh, you're going to create inherently some logistics and supply chain advantages. Um, again, maybe a lead-in question. I could be wrong here, but are there? I mean, is that a correct assumption that if you know if, if we can eliminate some of the uh, cold chain storage, perhaps, or uh, warehousing, or, or or logistics and other distribution challenges that biologics face? Uh, that further contributes to the democratization or accessibility of the drugs? Yeah, so we we can talk about manufacturing a bit, but so yeah, I mean, if if there's one, you know, sort of marquee way of of answering your question, it certainly does come around thin film freezing's ability to eliminate the need for extreme cold chain storage and distribution. you know, look, I think I think all my, my hats off to, you know, how, you know, Pfizer and Moderna have, have been able to manage around this and the extremes that the distribution networks have gone to to, to make this a non-issue. It, there's a lot of costs tied up in that. I've, I've seen estimates that, you know, up fifth, better than 50% of the cost of the administration of the vaccine comes from this, you know, need to, to distribute and freeze, you know, the, the vaccine before it's thought out and administered to patients. So clearly what we have the ability to do is take solution-based vaccine and the current mRNA vaccines are manufactured and developed with something called an aluminum adjuvant. Mm -hmm. So all these aluminum adjuvant-based vaccines can be converted to the thin film freezing powder. And in certain cases where we're working with potential partners or partners, the, the actual powder can become the vaccine, or it can then be reconstituted, simple reconstitution in the field. So it has application in terms of ease of administration, eliminating this, this need for cold chain distribution and storage, and has tremendous implications for any market where the refrigeration and freezing becomes an issue. So whether it's at the initiation of developing new vaccines, or in potentially the, the, the use of thin film freezing in second and third generation currently used vaccines is a tremendous opportunity for the application of the technology in this space. Okay. All right. So I want to give some uh, some glory to those unicorns now. Um, you know, a, a, as I mentioned, we, we've we've just discussed some advantages here. The advantages are obviously uh, potentially game changing. Uh, but we have to acknowledge that the reason that uh, we haven't seen uh, dried powder uh, biologic formulations, uh, the reason they're not the standard is because manufacturability uh, certainly has posed some challenges that your unicorns have, have worked in earnest to overcome. Um, so tell us about that. What are the, the manufacturing challenges the TFF has had to address uh, to get to the point you're at today? And, and perhaps what challenges do you anticipate facing as you move toward commercial, um, and how are you addressing them? Yeah, so, look, you know, developing powders, you know, there are certain other technologies that powders work, powders can be developed, uh, spray drying, spray freeze drying. The, the limitations there is the depth and, and breadth of the applications to, you know, different molecules. In, in the case where you have a, you have a simple you know, a small molecule, you know, perhaps, you know, their other processes can, can be effective in producing these powders and enough supply to get them to downstream to the market is not an issue. 
Um, in the case of, you know, even the small molecule, we certainly believe that the thin film freezing version of, of these um, small molecules will even be better in a thin film freezing version. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of manufacturing, it, it's a process that is not extremely difficult. It's not capital intensive. Um, you know, the equipment or the capital expenditures to create, you know, either the, the freezing part of it or the drying part of it, which is around this frozen roller and biophilizer, um, is, is highly replicable. And uh, it's one of these situations, I guess, you know, if you build it, they will come. You just need a, a space to install the equipment, you know, um, if, in, if you create the powder, if the powder gets encapsulated for administration through the lung, you encapsulate it and deliver it through an actuator device, which is not costly. If it's given intranasally, same. And now we're even doing solutions back into intraocular or topical administration, like our work with uh, the Department of Defense. So this this can be a highly cost-effective um, manufacturing process. It won't add cost to it. It could even eliminate cost, especially if you eliminate the uh, the need for cold chain. Mm-hmm. And you know we've got um, our approach is, is is quite strategic and systematic right now. If you look at our internal portfolio for voriconazole and tacrolimus and even niclosamide, we work with three contract manufacturing organizations that have created GMP materials, which are obviously needed since we're in the clinic. They can scale up. Uh, we built redundancy into that. You never know, you know what, what could happen. So we clearly are 100% confident that we can, we can create uh, clinic, you know, clinical and commercial supplies for those compounds. Um, and then on the biologic side, we've started to do work with Catalent, one of the largest CDMOs on the market, and they're working on the biologics platform, starting with the augmented compounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, we intend to continue to expand the work we're doing with Catalent as we bring more biologics projects forward into preclinical, clinical, and commercial applications. Yeah. Is there, uh, when, when it comes to the biologic products, is there any, um, I guess, challenge around um, the fragility or the, you know, the, the, the maintaining through the process, maintaining um, the efficacy of, of the molecule? I mean, it, it, it you know, stability, maintaining stability. Yeah. Is, is there any? No, we actually have, um, you know, products up on stability. Mm-hmm. And they've been quite durable, um, realizing, of course, that some inject that injectables and certain other compounds need to be uh, manufactured in a sterile environment. So the aseptic manufacturing becomes an integral part of what we need to do on the biologics front. The business of biotech is brought to you in partnership with Cytiva. Together, we're committed to helping the leaders of new and emerging biopharma companies navigate the financial, organizational, human resources, and regulatory waters you'll encounter on your way from discovery to the clinic and beyond. Check out a host of useful resources for biotech leaders at Cytiva's Emerging Biotech Accelerator at cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A lifesciences.com 
backslash emerging biotech. So I think uh, I think it's been we, we put an article together on the work you guys were doing. I don't know about a, about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. So I think it's been a year since I, I've talked with you, Glenn. Um, tell us about uh, what's transpired at TFF since the last time we spoke. What have the last twelve months looked like from uh, development progress standpoint? Uh, any clinical advances? Sort of give us an update. Sure. So you know, Matt, our our business strategy, I guess, is sort of fundamental to understand when I answer that question. So it's yeah. it's a hybrid business approach. So we have these compounds that we do, we're developing internally. Um, Vorcon is all tacrolimus, niclosamide, and AUG3387. And then our partnerships, either with farm companies, uh, pharma companies, the academic institutions, or the government. So let's talk about internally. If you look back a year, um, we were first going into the clinic with Vorcon, and tacrolimus. We've completed both phase one programs successfully. Mm-hmm. Our pharmacokinetic data you know, clearly demonstrate the ability to administer the drugs to the lung and get sufficient, significant blood plasma levels. Uh, we've selected uh, what doses we're going to take forward into our pivotal uh, first in human trials. So that, that's monumental, right? Also, we've, we've manufactured GMP materials for these trials. So any concerns that anyone might have had around can, can TFF manufacture you know, goods that can be given to humans, absolutely. Uh, no adverse events reported in, in those phase one trials that will cause for any, any you know, alarms to go off or any cessation of, of, of what we were doing there. Likewise, on the formulation of niclosamide, we have a partnership with Union Therapeutics to take that into a phase one trial and, and, and bring that downstream to treat as an antiviral COVID-19, and then this, this sort of breakthrough work we're doing with Augmenta on, on the biologics front is really remarkable. And uh, the results we're seeing and the ability to begin to look at market differentiation of how we position biologics in the marketplace is, has been confirmed through that. All the while, you know, on the business development front, we have now, uh, I think the last number, Matt, is about 45 open material transfer agreements. Now, what are material transfer agreements? They're, they're relationships with, with companies or academic institutions or the government to take their materials and formulate them. Mm-hmm. Then we do an in vitro testing, in vivo testing, stability, et cetera. The goal there is, is to out license our technology and transact with these partners to create ec- economic returns for the company and our investors. Um, bringing these these compounds to the market, ultimately by using the company's assets along with our technology. Yeah. So we actually now are working with the majority of the top twenty pharma companies on one or more projects, and you know it's a process. You, you know, it takes time to to formulate, optimize, get the in vitro work done, do some animal testing, do stability. But these are moving downstream very very nicely. Um, the company's goal is, is to do two meaningful transactions a year, uh, defined as you know, having some, some meaningful economics associated with that. Yeah. And then all the while, while we've been working with these partners, we've been de- building our dossier of, of data. So we've published the application of the technology to mRNA 
sRNA, monoclonal antibodies, uh, phages, peptoids, peptides. And uh, Dr. Bill Williams is the inventor and his associates, we, we now have published quite a bit. We also have expanded our patent uh, platform. We now have over 97 patents either approved or filed for uh, method of use process or composition of matter. As it pertains to uh, individual assets, we more than doubled our, our patent estate. And then you know, we formed these amazing, I think, hate to, to use too many hyperbole here, but we have now academic partnerships um, that we didn't have a year ago, one with uh, Dr. Ted Ross at the University of Georgia, we're working on thin film freezing versions of a new universal flu vaccine. We're working with Dr. Kartik Chandran at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, looking at thin film freezing version uh, of VSV vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working with Dr. John Dye. We have a creator with the US Army, USAMRID. Dr. Jai, Dr. Dai is the um, founder of the Ebola vaccines, and we're looking at other monoclonal antibody antiviral vaccines, two of them in particular, going into animal trials. We'd look to hopefully get a second crater shortly. And we just started working with, uh, just a couple of months ago, we, we formed a scientific advisory board, and we were very pleased to announce that we've added Dr. Drew Weissman from the University of Pennsylvania to our scientific advisory board. For those of you who don't know Dr. Weissman, he is the inventor of the mRNA COVID vaccines um, at the University of Pennsylvania and uh, worked closely to bring that to BioNTech and ultimately to Pfizer. So we have a number of projects we're working with Dr. Weissman in the mRNA space, both vaccine and therapeutics. So if you, and there's more that I probably am I'm leaving out here, but you know, the, the constant progress and expansion of the application of the technology has been really remarkable. We're even starting to now dip our toe into gene and cell therapy. We're working with one company in particular in the gene and cell therapy space, um, building our biologics capability on the manufacturing side through our existing partnerships and, and adding catalyst is quite an accomplishment for us as well. And the Department of Defense contract that we have through Lidos as the exclusive formulation partner to develop intraocular and topical countermeasures for use by our warriors in the face of chemical and and, um, and germ warfare. So it, it's, it's been quite a year and uh, yeah. it's, it's, just the tip, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I really mean that, Matt. It's, yeah. It is the tip of the iceberg. I know our investors say, well, you got all these open MTAs. When is it going to happen? It's, it's happening. And, uh, you know, if you look at just what's happened on the internal portfolio, remarkable, a lot of, lot of near-term catalytic events. We're starting our pivotal phase two trials for Vori intact in the fourth quarter. So it's, it's been quite a year. It sure has, yeah. I mean, it. Uh, you know, it, there, there's a whole host of questions that uh, that arise from uh, the words you just used. Um, it, it it appears as though you must have some unicorns on your business development staff as well. They do quite a job. You know, the other thing that's and, and not to minimize what they do. Yeah. Even in a year, the tables have turned there, where we did a lot of outreach to get our partnerships. Now, I would say at least three quarters. Of, of the business development opportunities, partnering opportunities we have is inbound. 
mm-hmm. uh, companies that that you know hear about us, uh, present our see our presentations, see our publications. Um, we, we have a lot of inbound uh, calls as well, which which you know is fine. It keeps the funnel <laughs> really really full for sure. To the point where we probably almost have to be selective. Um, We're trying to get there, you know. There, yeah. there are um, there is a bit of selectivity. Although we opened up a second feasibility lab at, at the University of Texas in Austin, so we double our capacity to to do this feasibility work. Uh, so our turnaround time really hasn't slipped dramatically. You know, it only takes us two to four weeks to do an initial formulation once we get the partners' materials. Mm-hmm. What would that look like, that partnership look like uh, moving forward, like for, for clinical supply, for uh, even commercial supply? Uh, and, and I don't know if, you know, perhaps this question uh, is, is a TBD uh, on your part, but um, would, would, it, would, you, would you sort of retain that model where you take the asset, you perhaps work with a, a CDMO like, uh, like, like Catalent, and you handle that formulation on your end through clinical and even into commercial, or does the model eventually shift to the point where your technology is being employed or deployed by the, the pharma company who's contracted with you? Yeah. So the, the, the strong preference we have is that we retain the manufacturing rights and assign mm-hmm. those manufacturing rights to a, a CDMO. Um, once, and we work with the partner on, getting that formulation done, getting it back to the originator company where they would take it through the clinical and regulatory process. So we build our, our, our transactions, you know, with an upfront payment to license the technology, uh, remuneration for key clinical and regulatory events, approval milestones, and ultimately sales milestones and royalties. So we, we are not in the commercialization business. Mm-hmm. Um, even Voricon is on Tacrolimus at the right inflection point. We'll look to bring on commercial partners to take those forward into the marketplace. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to dig in a little bit on your, your COVID focused product development right now. You mentioned the augmented deal a few times. You, you talked about your engagement with the University of Pennsylvania on the mRNA vaccine project. Um, this, you know, this, this, this COVID vaccine and therapeutic landscape. Uh, is is so uh, it, it 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 changes before our very eyes, right? Uh, on the daily, um, what what do you anticipate there in terms of the longer term opportunity around? And you can you can break this question down however you'd like to, Glenn. Um, in, in terms of the the, the long term uh, applic- application of your vaccine and therapeutic products in the COVID space. I guess, what are you just anticipating in terms of what the market's yeah. going to do? So this is crystal ball time, Matt, right? Yeah, but, yeah, I apologize. <laughs> um, and first and foremost, you know, we, we're not a COVID company. You know, part of our, our portfolio is COVID-driven. Sure. So, you know, we, the ubiquitous nature of this technology allows us to be extremely opportunistic, right? So there are there's clearly low-hanging fruit. There's low-hanging fruit in fruit in, in creating vaccines that don't require cold chain. And, you know, this, this can have application in second and third generation vaccines in, in the Western world, the industrialized world, certainly the application with other companies, smaller 
companies that are looking to find ways to bring effective vaccine uh, distribution administration to um, countries that are not where where cold chain becomes a problem and 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 you have to look for more you know formulations that are easier to to get to these remote parts of the world on the therapeutic side you know we're well positioned on the antiviral side of of, of the equation um and again the thin film freeze and this is probably what's key you know the offering of the powder uniquely positions you downstream so you know, we we could play in, in the acute setting, but if the vaccines are, and this is clearly crystal ball, right? Yeah, yeah. Vaccines, right. yeah. Your your PR your PR police your PR yeah. police may uh, may interrupt the conversation. Yeah, but, but, and I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. It's just sure. speculation. You know, and smarter people than me can figure out what the market dynamics ultimately going to be. But you can envision if the vaccines are really effective in creating less severe disease, you know, the downstream model for the antivirals and the, and the antibodies would seem to have you know, a pretty big place in the marketplace. And this is where, you know, a powdered version of Augmented 3387 or niclosamide ease of administration, I think could have a pretty big, big place in, in, in ultimately the treatment cascade. The other thing is, Look, we, we don't know where the variants are headed, you know. Um, I can tell you that Augmented 3387 has been shown effective against the Delta variant. Uh, you'll soon see our data on the Lambda variant and the Mu variant. And, you know, I, my part of my background is was in uh, working when I worked with J&J in their HIV business. And our assets that we developed in the HIV portfolio was to treat resistant disease. And um, it, it did quite well once, once you know, the HIV virus is really, really smart virus and, and probably unlike almost any other viral infection mutated so quickly and our compounds were able to step in and, and treat patients who needed to switches, switch to other protease inhibitors and non-nucleosides, et cetera. So, you know, without definitively knowing where this is headed, you know, we're well positioned to participate successfully in the marketplace, um, whether it's, you know, at the acute position or at the chronic position. But, and hopefully, you know, this is all to, to, to help treat the disease better, uh, create value for our, our investors. But, you know, we, we have so many other shots on goal that, you know, we, we won't, as like, unlike a lot of other companies, We'll, we'll be just fine if, if COVID turns out to and not not really fit into the portfolio that's being that's evolving here. Yeah, so I'm optimistic, and but I, I want to be you know sort of put it in perspective that sure. you know I don't I don't spend you know every waking hour pondering what happens if the whole landscape for COVID changes for the worst you know, for the worst certainly I'm concerned but for the better. Yeah. Yep. As long as, yeah. we can, as long as we can participate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking of that participation, I'm curious, you've mentioned uh, reconstitution a couple of times. And I know the last time we talked, you you went into some detail around uh, that, um, I guess, functionality. 
Um, I'm curious, when you say reconstitution, I know we're talking about perhaps reconstituting the biologic back into, uh, you know, inject an injectable. Um, is, is oral solid dose or capsule reconstitution on the radar as well, or is that not an option? No, it's really back to solution, although we do have some technologies that can work on oral formulations. Um, there's something called hot melt exclusion that we actually have, have toyed with a bit, but um, it really depends on, on what the partner is looking for, you know, um, you know, again, I, I don't want to seem, you know, you overuse this word ubiquitous, but it is, it, it's, it's, it's application is, is, is basically limitless. We haven't come across anything that we couldn't successfully formulate large or small molecule. Mm-hmm. We have come into situations where once we formulated the compound and it was tested, it wasn't effective. And that, that's not a factor of, our formulation work is just that the, the compound wasn't effective in whatever uh, application in animals that the, the partner was looking at. Those have been very few and far between as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you look across that portfolio of, you know, some 45 uh, partnership engagements that you're involved in now, and, and, and as you said, more, more coming in all the time, and you, and you look at it from strictly a, maybe a therapeutic opportunity uh, perspective. What are you most excited about around the opportunity for your technology to have an impact on a on a particular therapeutic or or or, or condition or disease state? You know, it's, I've been asked that question before. Sometimes I'm asked the question, "What you know, what what opportunity are you most excited about?" Yeah, I love all my children equally. <laughs> That's uh, a good political answer. You know, I I, I do because you know look. I, I can't sit here and predict today because a lot of these are early stage opportunities that, you know, I can't, I can't predict where we're going to have the, the biggest therapeutic impact. I know that there are real large opportunities that can have, you know, biologics, again, only the tip of ice to the iceberg in terms of how biologic can be, biologics can be applied to, to treating, you know, plethora of diseases, but, you know, the land, the therapeutic indication landscape is, is really large. You know, this mm-hmm. is really, you know, we were working everything from Alzheimer's, you know, to, to cancer, to uh, uh, infectious disease, um, peripheral arterial hypertension. Um, you know, it's, it's a long list. And, and actually, sometimes, although I think the partner may know that they're, the partner isn't even really sure how they're going to apply the, the, the technology, right? Um, yep. And that may only come to light once you get into animal testing, right? And, and you see, you know, which of many therapeutic options will, will be leading there. So, you know, we we just want to be the formulation partner to all these opportunities. Yeah. Well, as long as you, you know, I, I joke that that's a, a good political answer that you love all your children equally, but as long as you have the capacity to serve many, why, why limit it to a few? It makes perfect sense. I, I had the pleasure of, of um, introducing uh, Colin Powell to an audience of sales representatives when I was at, at uh, Senecor. And at the time he was being considered for a presidential run or a vice presidential run. Mm-hmm. And one of the people in the audience said, well, if you aren't, if you don't run for president, we want to run for vice president. He says, I don't answer hypothetical questions. <laughs> I thought that was the most gracious way of, of getting out of, of answering something that he 
wasn't comfortable answering. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't employed that tactic here, but uh, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate that you haven't because it would it would end the interview quite abruptly <laughs> and early. I think if if you if you refuse my hypotheticals, there you go. Yeah, but speaking of Colin, there wouldn't be much to talk about. No, speaking of Colin Powell, it's a good good segue. You had mentioned your your um, engagement with U.S. AMRED, the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious diseases to Good. address biodefense threats. Um, I'm curious about that. I mean, you, you mentioned it and uh, that certainly is exciting and, and noble work, but how does an engagement like that come come mm. to pass? Yeah. So generally, you know, we, we've been put in contact with John Dye or Ted Ross or Karthik Chandran through, you know, outreach or that we've initiated we work with with a really strong person on government relations and academic relations, or inbound. Um, we, for example, we recently presented to a group called Civics, and Civics is is, is basically the membership in Civics are all of the key vaccine uh, academic researchers in the country, and through that, actually, which was sponsored through, I believe, Ted Ross. We made the relationship with Karthik Chandran and Einstein, Drew Weissman at Penn. So, you know, what we continue to do at USAMRID, for example, is look for other programs they're working on where the technology can be applied. Or in the case of, you know, UGA or Albert Einstein, we actually go through, and like we did with DARPA, it's actually a bit of a, of a, of a bake-off or a beauty contest. So hmm. I will position or, or, or study in the early stages to how thin film freezing can best apply to their technology, what's the best formulation, and we keep winning these, these bake-offs. So, um, you know, that, that's how what happened at USAMRID. That's what happened with the Department of Defense. That's what's happening in, in a lot of these different academic institutions that when you look at, at the formulation opportunities with thin film freezing, these invest, you know high level investigators want to start applying their, their technologies to this formulation. Maybe not exclusively, you know they'll, they'll play a couple of different hands here, but you know then ultimately the, the, the best of these will you know be moved forward and, and then we'll look for either non-dilutive funding, to move them along or um, try to partner with, with a pharmaceutical company to take them in, into you know, full-blown clinical development. Yep, very cool. All right, in the time we have left, just a couple more questions for you, Glenn. Is that okay? Sure. A couple yeah, more? Yeah, great. I'm enjoying right. it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, so, all right, so here's one. Uh, you, as I mentioned from the outset of this conversation, your um, your CV, I mean, your career has been, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's been... Um, rich, right? Like you've, you've worked on, on many for, for some great companies, uh, on, on, um, many candidates, uh, in many disease areas. Um, so in 2018, you had this opportunity to, uh, join and lead TFF. Um, what was the inspiration there? I mean, I imagine that at that point in your career, uh, you know, you, you could pretty much kind of point in any direction you want to go and set yourself off. Um, so what, what was it about TFF that was uh, appealing to you? Yeah, so first, uh, the diligence, you know, the people, we go back to this unicorn, right? So I met 
you know, the inventor, I meant the people that were working on this, clearly, clearly top shelf, really understood the technology, had a vision, you know, for how this could be applied. And, and so that's sort of first and foremost. Um, the funding roadmap was pretty clear. The path to public listing was clear. You know, the support behind the company was, was remarkable. And you remember, I, I have sort of evolved into this world of working with biotech companies. Now, Matt, the, you know, it's a wonderful place to work, but most of these companies, you're working in situations where it's a binary outcome. You've got one or two assets. Your whole future is sort of hanging on the data that's going to come from a phase one program or a phase two program. And you're, 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 your focus as a CEO in that point is fundraising and recruitment, right? Yeah. And that's great. But you then looked, I then looked at the diverse, the diversification of the opportunities that we had here. The opportunity to have multiple shots on goal, not be reliant on the outcome of one or two programs, and then just sitting back. And, and believe me, when I first considered this, nowhere, and, and even my wildest imagination, I'm a really optimistic guy, could I have seen the path forward here, right? Now, it's not all balloons and seashells. You know, they're, they're, you have to work at it. And that's what really, you know, interested me in, in coming to TFF. And it's, it's really born, you know, it's really been born out. And uh, the opportunities to create value for patients and all of the stakeholders, whether it's a patient who we partner with, you know, um, you know the, the investor, you know, that's really sort of the, you know, the exciting part about coming to work every day. And you know, every day we're kind of dipping our toe into new uncharted waters. And, and you know, the one thing that I can always rely on is we, we know this technology is highly differentiated. We know it works. It has a lot of application. And now it's, it's just about getting these things to the finish line. Awesome. Uh, when you look at the competitive landscape, you know, when I, and when I say competitive landscape, I'm, I'm, t- I'm looking through the lens of um, alternative approaches to mm. specifically biologic mm. therapy and vaccine administration. So those alternatives being things like intranasal, uh, dry powder inhaled, oral solid dose capsules. Um, what what do you see between now and, and and your finish line? Is that playing field getting more crowded? Is it getting more competitive? Uh, are a few players kind of making all the progress? Yeah. So as I see here today, you know, of course, there's competition. I think we talked about that spray drying, spray freeze drying. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't see you know a threat there. I can tell you, I do see there's a, there's an enhanced interest in, in inhalation medicine. Um, more companies are coming to us, even from channels you wouldn't expect to be, show an interest in, in our technology as it applies to inhalation. Um, you know, do I see anything on the future landscape that I view as a threat? Nothing right now that's on our radar, but. Clearly, our goal is to continue to refine our technology, make it as broadly applicable as possible, and uh, you know, move the ball down you know, down the field, you know, in, in a way that continues to build this dossier of of data and patents and, and application. 
Yeah. So you may have already answered this this final question I have for you uh, when you listed a very stout to-do list uh, and, and current activity, current engagement list. Um, but if you had to point to the next big thing on your agenda, the next big step for TFF, what would that be? Uh, there are a lot of big steps. I, I think um, we have to selectively look at opportunities to build our internal portfolio. And we have to you know, be sure that you know, we, we get these transactions finished and, and consummated. Um, it seems pretty, they seem obvious and, and, and it seems certain that we will. Um, you know, the, the, we were asking people to write a, write a check and it's just, you know, to, to license the technology and, you know, just with each and every partner, you know, what is that final step to do that? You know, we're at that stage with a number of partners now. We're even optimistic that we'll get two meaningful deals done this year and two every year they're, for, they're forward. So, um, you know, it, it's as you get further, as the life cycle moves further, further downstream, you know, it, it's it's. Finish, crossing that finish line, right, and and getting and getting it getting it all done, where it's not theoretical anymore. It's 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 application. The dossier we build are are the relationships that we have, the outcomes that we have, the, the products that we've moved through the development cascade, the partnerships, the relationships with academia and the government. You know, there's there's just so many boxes. You know that that we just continue to, to move and towards the finish line. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck with all that. And, uh, you know, like I said, the work is certainly cut out for your, your biz dev folks as, as well as your development team. Yeah. Um, but thank you for, for joining thank us. Man. It's, uh, yeah, the pri- privilege was mine. I really enjoyed talking that's, with you. I hope it's, hope kind. it's not another 12 months before we yeah, talk. Yeah, let's make you. sure it's, it's not. Okay. Uh, although time goes quickly. Right. And, uh, so let's check in and, you just keep looking for those press releases, okay? I'll, I'll keep my eyes bright. Right. So that's Glenn right. Mattis. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva. Please visit cytivalifesciences.com backslash emerging biotech to explore a trove of custom curated content designed to help guide the emerging biopharma's journey. Then go sign up for my newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. And if you like what you heard here today, hit that subscribe button. Give us five stars. And as always, thanks for listening.